Let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. As we continue in our study through 1 Corinthians, and we went through the marriage part and the divorce part, and today we look at singleness. It's one thing that, you know, not all of us have been married, and not all of us have been divorced or separated, but the one thing that we all have in common, we've all been single. And uh, there's a lot of of great stuff here in the rest of this chapter. Beginning with verse 25, Paul introduces this next subject and says, Now, concerning virgins, and it's probably in response to the word virgin there, parthenos in the Greek, is a word that could refer to either men or women who just hadn't been married yet. It, it appears from once we read through the whole passage that he had been asked, well, several questions, and some of them were about being married to non-believers and other things like that. But one of the questions was, you know, if is the marriage something that's even good to do? And specifically, if you're the guardian of someone, if you're a parent, should you encourage your kids to, to get married or should you just tell them, to remain single. There are probably several reasons why this was a question. Um, In in the Greek philosophies, there were many people who promoted uh, celibacy as a beneficial state. And that basically it flowed forth from the idea that anything about the body is evil and anything about the spirit or the soul is good. It was that dualism that divided existence. Of course, later, 100 years later or so, it developed into Gnosticism that was very popular. But it was the idea that, ooh, if it's physical, it must be creepy, and maybe we shouldn't do it at all. Of course, what happens invariably, as we've seen in our own society, when someone forces that artificial state on everyone, Some people can be single and do fine. Other people who are forced to be single because they're told that this is a spiritual thing to do sometimes can't handle it, and as a result, you have all sorts of problems, and it just oozes out. You can can deny the flesh if you want, but ultimately, you have to deal with it. Ultimately, it's not something that's bad, as Paul makes clear here. But at the same time, he's saying... Don't go overboard one way or the other. Don't act like being single is what everyone has to do. And on the other hand, don't act like being married is what everyone has to do. And so now concerning Parthenos, virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord. Jesus didn't really talk about this, in other words. Yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. So he says, I'm going to give you my best shot at it. But God, in his mercy, has seen fit to speak through me, he's saying. God has shared a lot with me and through me. And so consider it. It's not just, hey, one guy's opinion. But at the same time, I'm not telling you that, okay, yeah, there's all this other biblical evidence to back it up. I'm telling you what, what, I, what I'm thinking. I suppose, therefore that this is good because of the present distress, that it's good for a man to remain as he is. 
He had already talked about that even in the previous verse, verse 24, where he says, Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. It was this statement of saying, you know what? When you come to the Lord, stay where you are. Don't think that, okay, now it's time for, to revamp everything in your life. And so here he's saying, in light of the present distress, it's good for you to, as he says, remain as you are. The present distress. And in those days, in that circumstance, well, Paul, you read about his life and you realize life was tough. Imagine being married to a guy like Paul, who was in and out of jail, who was on the road traveling all the time, who was just in every way it would have been impossible. Perhaps Paul was married. We think he probably was married at one point. But obviously, at the time of his writings and in his ministry, he wasn't married. Maybe the lifestyle that God had called him to was something that just made it impossible to, to stay married. We don't know. But what Paul is alluding to for them is these are some tough times. There's persecution that's here and a lot more that's coming. And as the time built up, this would have been a few years before the worst of the persecution that would happen. But at this point, it was already cooking. And so he's saying, you need to consider the circumstance. And all I'm saying is, in light of that, that's what I'm sharing with you. That's where these ideas are coming from, in light of the present distress. So we need to, by principle, take what he says and apply them to our situation and our present distress and see, okay, how does this work with circumstances that we are in? There are different circumstances that require different responses, in other words. So he says in verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Not the nicest way to put it, but <laughs> if you're married, you know what he's talking about. If, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. He's going, again, it's a reiteration of if you're married, then that's what God wants you to do. Be the best married person that you can be. But if something happens and you find yourself single, you're okay there too. Don't, don't feel that, okay, something's wrong now and I've got to fix this right away. Don't seek a wife. You know, it's one of those things that when you're really, and you know people who are looking for a wife or looking for a husband, they seem to almost emit certain, uh, you know, I, I don't know, There's, you can sense it. And it's, it's something that also drives people away like crazy. When, when you're really seeking a wife or a husband, it's one of the best ways not to find one. It's just, it, it, that desperation is just a very unattractive trait. And so good advice, certainly, even the truth is, even if you desperately want to be married, don't act like it. It'll make it not happen, or it'll cause you to end up linking up with someone who would be the worst piece person for you to partner with anyway. And so um, that's his exhortation in the present distress. But he says, even if you do marry, <laughs> even if you do, you have not sinned. He goes, look, I'm telling you, don't go try to get married if you're not. But he said, if you get married, there's nothing wrong with that. That's silly. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. 
Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. He says, what I'm talking about is getting married can be difficult, especially in their situation, but in all situations, certainly that can be the case. And so he's saying, look, I'm not telling you this, okay, you have to be married or you have to be single. He goes, I'm just trying to save you a lot of trouble. I'm just trying to help you not to get into a situation that's more difficult than you recognize. And if you've been married, you know exactly what he's talking about. Obviously, today when half the people who get married, or in some areas more than half, end up getting divorced, obviously marriage isn't easy. Marriage isn't something that's just a slam dunk. And it's something that, as he says earlier too, if you cannot do it, by all means don't. It'll save you some trouble. So he says, I'm trying to spare you some grief. And I'm trying to keep you from this desperation that makes you feel obsessed with, I've got to find a mate. He's going, I'll, I'll spare you a lot of trouble by you doing that. But, verse 29, this I say, brethren, the time is short. You know, we don't, we don't know how long we have. For him, Paul would probably live another seven, eight, nine years after, well, six years probably. But he lived in this sort of situation where it's like, we don't know how long we have to, have to live even. And we need to keep that perspective, he says. The time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. That's a weird verse. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. So what does that mean? <laughs> Time is short. The world is passing away. So even if you're married, act like you're not. Even if you're weeping, act like you're not. <laughs> even if you're celebrating, act like you're not. Even if you buy stuff, don't act like you own it. And whatever your interaction with the world is, make sure that you're not misusing it. Make sure that you're not getting carried away. Well, I think what he's trying to say is don't make such a big deal out of this issue. Don't focus your whole life and all of your existence on things that are going to pass away. The perspective is it's all going to ultimately be over really quickly. This life passes very quickly. And if your priority is on what's happening here, whether you're married or not, whether you're divorced or single or whatever, this life is so short. So he says, the fact is, if you are married, given the shortness of life, don't center your whole life around that. Don't allow even your family to become such a distraction that you're unable to do what God has called you to do. And we'll see that as we continue to read here. And this is sort of surprising for us because, frankly, in our society, we have made such a big deal about marriage and family that we think that everything, you know, you hear people talking about 
It's the, it's the marital unit, it's the marital bond, that's the institution that God has created to design the world. And you, know, and you hear all this stuff, and just like if you don't have kids, people act like, if you don't have kids, you're not living at all. You know, and it's like, where do we get this biblically? Is that, is that what you see from the scriptures, from, from the Lord Jesus Christ himself? who said, hey, even if you lose your family for my sake, you're blessed. And we in our society have so glorified that which is a wonderful thing. I'm not up here, even first service while Anne's still in bed. I'm, I'm not going to be up here just <laughs> bad-mouthing marriage. <laughs> but all I'm saying, and obviously I'm married and I have kids and I'm thankful for that. And, and it's been a blessing of my life to have my family. And yet, hey, let's not, when we are in that situation, decide that, oh, that's the only way to live. It's so, it would be so hard to be single today for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons why it's hard to be single is because married people treat you like you're some kind of pariah. Like there's something totally wrong with you and, oh, poor you. There's something that needs to be fixed about you because you're single. And you're really, in a lot of ways, contrary to what Paul teaches here, there are some people who would even say, well, if you're single, then you're really limited in terms of the ministry that you can do. Are you kidding me? That's, that's crazy. That's so wrong according to what the Scripture says. But here's what happens. Whoever it is that's in control gets to be the one to make the rules. And so, since people who have elevated to a certain position happen to be family people, then we say everyone ought to be that way. And we're distrustful. You know, there are certain people who would say, and I've heard this plenty of times, well, we shouldn't let single men teach Sunday school. And it's like, really? Where do you get that? As if there's something weird and wrong about a guy who's single. I mean, I don't know if you realize this, but most child molesters aren't single. Most of them are married. It's not, but, but yet we have this thing, and all of it comes forth because we go, normal is what I am. And because I'm married... And an elder is to be the husband of one wife, so you have to have at least one. And, and then we go from that, and we're like, you know, there's something wrong with those single people. And what, they, and, and what we do, instead of, as Paul ends up saying, man, the great thing about being single is you can really be devoted to serving God. We go, I don't want single people serving God. They need to be out dating and trying to find a mate so they can be a complete and whole person. And it comes from this warped perspective whereby we look and go, I'm married so everyone ought to be. And Paul goes, you know, some of you people that are so busy focusing on the family, maybe you ought to focus on a bigger picture, a world that's dying, people all around you who have needs. It's not all about the family. Why is it that our society spirals downhill the more we emphasize family? It's because those who are blessed with a family get into this whole understanding and perspective that, you know, this is it. And then all of our attention is focused on that instead of things that are greater. And, you know, the funny thing is, 
spoiling your family is not what's best for your family. It's not, and, and I don't, I, I, if I had a dollar for every time somebody has told me, you know, boy, you know, it's really hard, must be hard to balance ministry and family, that's our society. Thinking that somehow you have to balance ministry and family. Your family is a part of your life, a part of your ministry. Ministry is everything that we do. Is there a tension sometimes? Absolutely, and we'll see that in a moment. But Paul's saying, look, you don't need to glorify family. If you're married, you need to quit trying to act so married. He's not saying, like, don't, you know, he's not suggesting pretend like you don't know your spouse or stay away from them. But it's like in the church today, we feel like, oh, married people, that's kind of the core. For singles, we need a singles group. We need to do... It's a church. We're all in this together. And if we, as those who are married, can't connect with those who are single and include them into our church life and into our lives personally, because, well, we have this philosophy that says there's this certain covering over our family that's really private and nobody gets it. The Bible doesn't say that. And Paul's exhortation is, some of you guys just act too married. How about you act like you're members of the body of Christ? We're in a situation whereby the time is short. And all that you do as a family, and oh, it's great, you're buying all these toys for your family, and you're taking your family off, and it's all about family time. And it isn't. It's about the time is short. The best thing you can do for your family is to expose them to people who have needs and include them into your family, to have your home opened up to others. I'm not saying there's never a time to do things just with your family. That's important too. But what Paul is saying, in the same way that he says, look, if you're crying, okay, you cry. But don't just dump and gush all over everyone. Suck it up a little bit. And if you're happy, hey, great, but don't insist that everyone else join in your happiness. Woohoo! You know, and, and what's the matter with you? You're not celebrating with me. Okay, if you're happy, be happy, but don't be so happy that that becomes your definition of your life. And if you're in this world and participating in things in this world, don't let the world own you, don't let it control you. Do you get the picture? Am I making sense here? If I'm not, I'm just going to keep saying this, and it's going to take us forever to finish. <laughs> so somebody nod, like, okay, yeah, we get it. Okay, good. <laughs> so his word to the married people is, quit acting like marriage is all that. Quit, you know, telling everyone. Okay, I'll, I'll move on. <laughs> Look at verse 32 now. But I want you to be without care. That's a, a beautiful thought, really. And he's not saying, I don't want you to care about anything. But the Bible has a lot to say about caring too much. <laughs> Be careful for nothing is how it's translated in the King James over in, in Philippians chapter 4. In, in our translation, it's be anxious for nothing. But the idea of caring is sometimes you care so much it'll kill you. Sometimes it's good to care, but it's important to realize 
you know, there are limits to what I can do. I am a champion at this. I care a lot. And sometimes I care so much it cripples me. Sometimes I get to where I'm so concerned about things. And it's really, it's sad and funny and weird, but now after I'm just recuperating from my neck surgery, I have this muscle right back here in this part of my neck that, that is still probably the weak spot on me. And as soon as something happens that's stressful, my neck just, boom, it's just like there's this knot there. There's this thing. I, I, I first noticed it when um, I called to see about Mary Beth and how she was doing over in Hawaii. And I knew that she was going in for surgery, and, and then I, I heard that both of her legs were amputated from just below the knee. And I heard that, and my neck just went, wow. And I go, oh, man, this is terrible. And there are other circumstances that have done it to me in the last few days. But I'm realizing, you know, that could be a really cool thing that God is giving me. Like an idiot light on your dashboard that tells you, <laughs> Tells you when your oil pressure is too, too low or your water temperature is too high. It's like, I feel like God could be saying to me, I'm just going to grab you by the neck if you stop trusting me. Okay, you should care. Difficult things should never be easy. Hard things should never be without pain. But at the same time, you will be completely unproductive and ineffective if you allow yourself to care so much, to weep so much, that you're not carefree. You're not, you're not able to do all that God wants you to do. And the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So after saying, don't emphasize these things so much, he says, look, I want you to be without care. That's what I'm talking about. And he says, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he or she may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he or she may please wife or husband. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin, an unmarried person. The unmarried one cares about the things of the Lord, that they may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. He's acknowledging there are certain things that you just have to think about when you're married. There are certain obligations and cares that just naturally come into place. Oh, when you were single, you didn't worry that much about being homeless. You could crash on anybody's couch. You could go. It, it was, you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, as a single person, how hard is it to even sleep in your car? It's not that big of a deal. But when you're a couple or maybe you have a few kids, all of a sudden you're going, that doesn't work anymore. When you're single, you didn't need special clothes for special occasions. It was just you had one outfit. It was fine. That worked. Now, I'm assuming that you weren't just desperately trying to attract everyone else. But, you know, when you're single, even, you have an apartment, you don't have to go, I've got to get this cleaned up before I leave. It's, if it's a mess, 
Nobody's going to see it. No one's coming home with you tonight. And so it's like, it'll still be there. I don't have to make my bed. I, I, I get an idea of this when, if Anne is away for a few days, or she's at a retreat or something. It's like, man, I care a lot less. It's not that I don't, but there are some things I just don't have to worry about so much when she's not there. There are certain things that I would never do if I wasn't married that I do all the time because I am married. I had to learn. I had to figure that out. So Paul is saying, just from a practical perspective, he goes, somebody who is single has an amazing opportunity to serve God and to care about the things of God. They have such a beautiful chance to spend time with the Lord, to plug into Him, to worship Him. And they can go to church every night of the week if they want, or they can just sit there and open their Bible. They can listen to what music is going to minister to them. If, if they hear about a chance to go off on a missions trip or something like that, it's like, it's just a question of, can I get off work? It's not a question of, oh, I don't want you to be gone. And the opportunities... By the way, I, I'm going to speak at a pastor's conference in El Salvador in a couple weeks, so pray for me. But, <laughs> now, for us to read this and to say, you know, that the one who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, it, it kind of makes us think, you know, when I was unmarried, I don't think necessarily God was first in my life. I, I had the opportunity to do anything for God, but I didn't do that. But single people have this opportunity. Now, I would suggest to you one reason why so often single people don't take advantage of that opportunity is because they are so made to feel like they're half a person until they get married that they feel like, I got to get out, I got to get in circulation, I got to try to, got to get online and meet somebody, I got to. And because we make them feel that way, instead of going to them, you know, you're so blessed to be able to have the opportunity that you have to really be devoted to the Lord. And I love it when I hear from people who share that at one point they were just really stressed about, oh, I've got to get married. And then it finally hit them what it is to be married to the Lord, what it is to be able to just serve in a, in a completely unbridled way and to focus attention on him, Paul knew what that was like. And Paul appreciated his freedom. Now again, he's not saying this to make us married people feel like, oh boy, would that be nice. He's saying it to go, if this is where God has you right now, then make sure that you realize there are huge advantages to you as a single saint. And take advantage of those advantages. And understand, it's a lot harder for someone who is strapped down with family obligations to be able to just go, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Sadly, I, I know a lot of guys, and I have in my life, who really felt strongly that God was calling them to go do something crazy, like to go off to another country and serve God. And 
They wanted to do it so bad, but their family obligations, whether the bills that they had piled up and the debt that they had incurred, or maybe their spouse wasn't into it, or that country isn't a good place to raise children, or for whatever reason, they don't have the freedom to do what they feel like God wants them to do. And that must be a horrible feeling. I, I thank God for him giving me a wife who is supportive enough of me serving God that she's willing to some nights be single because I need to do something. She's willing to sometimes, if I, it's my day off and I'm going off to speak for some men's breakfast like I did yesterday, that she's praying for me and encouraging me to do that and asking me how it's going. But it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes family obligations can completely hold you back from what God is calling you to do. And Paul's saying, it's just a lot easier to serve the Lord. Now, if God wants you to be married, then God is going to work through that. And he would say, then be married the way you're supposed to. Don't be obsessive married. Figure out how together you can serve the Lord. But to get time with the Lord when you're married is a lot harder. You might have to get up earlier. You might have to give up more things. You have to make choices because time with God is the most important thing that we can do. When you're single, it's a lot easier to get that time with God. When you're married, you still need it, and you better figure out a way to do it. But again, he's just going, I'm trying to help you. Believe me, you don't know the advantages of being single if that's where God has you. And verse 35, he says, And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Are you serving the Lord without distraction? Are you? I mean, can you relate to that? Or can you relate to the fact that, man, I want to serve the Lord, but there are so many distractions. There are so many things that hold us and back and keep us from doing what, what God has called us to do. Now, this is true whether you're married or you're single. Don't allow yourself, you to become a distraction for what God calls your partner to if you're married. I love, you know, there are some people who God has called to be married, but he's also called them to be childless, like the Baileys, if you don't count their dogs. But, but Steve and Kathy are a great example of two people who, they're married, but they open their home to people. And whenever an emergency happens on the mission field or somewhere around the world, Steve is going and Kathy is supporting him by working. No, <laughs> you know, it's just going, hey, if God's calling you to do that, then do it. Now, people would go, boy, poor Bailey's, they never had kids. You know, are you kidding me? Uh, it, they couldn't do what they did if they had kids. There are, and I'm not saying, oh, poor you if you have kids. But what I'm saying is find a way to serve God with as little distraction as possible. And if you are single, God bless you because you have less distractions. The rest of us, we have to find ways to work around the distractions. And that's what Paul's saying. 
So don't feel like, oh man, I feel so bad that I'm single. Feel blessed. Marriage, kids, it can really distract you from the ministry. At its best, it can also become an enhancement for your ministry. You know, I, I mean, there are some people who make their marriage a ministry to others, but it's sad. You need to think about this before you get married as to who you're marrying. It's really sad when there's a distraction at home that keeps you from doing what God calls you to do. And that's what Paul's saying here. But he says, if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she has passed the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. Now, that sounds kind of funny, but what he's addressing is the situation where, and in those days, it was the father who would arrange the marriage and who would release his daughter for marriage. It was just the way they did it. We look at that today and go, oh, how primitive. Oh, how weird that must have been. In reality, it had some real advantages. No dating, no trying to, you know, find the right person. Your family knows you, unfortunately, better than everyone else does, and, and they know what's best for you. And so that was the system that they were dealing with. And so what he's saying is, if you're a dad, and as he says here, if you think you're behaving improperly toward your daughter, it's like she's single and it's not working very well. There's, she's not happy in this kind of state. If she has passed the flower of youth, if she's old enough, and thus it must be, perhaps there's even been a commitment contractually of which they would do often when the kids were really young. Let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. In other words, don't force your kids to not be married. I can understand how people would want to do this with a daughter. I have sons, so I'm like, hey, whenever they want to get married, fine with me. But if I had a daughter, and I see sometimes the way guys treat girls, I'd want to go, and I, I jokingly tell dads who have a little girl, you know, just fatten her up. She can, <laughs> when she's like 25, you can get her on a diet and get her therapy, and it'll be, but, but I wouldn't really do that, but that's probably why God didn't give me a daughter, because I even think like that, <laughs> but Paul's saying, no, look, it's a blessing if she doesn't go off and take on all this baggage, and if your daughter is somebody who just enjoys serving the Lord and is single, you should be really proud of her, and that's fine, but if that's not her thing, because he goes on in the next verse and say, says, nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, there's no, nothing pushing, has power over his own will. In other words, she's just going, hey, Dad, it's up to you. Not, not, doesn't matter to me. And has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. What principle can we get from this? We don't arrange marriages anymore. But it's something that I think we should consider, that we not push our kids to get married, boys or girls, that we not send them the message that there's something wrong with you because you're not giving us grandkids. 
go buy grandkids, you know. They're, they sell them on eBay sometimes. But it's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But, you know, take care of other people's kids. They'll be, you know, that'll be a blessing. But don't push your kids and make your kids feel like there's something weird if they don't get married. You know, don't start, once your kid's like 18 and hasn't had a date yet, don't start giving them tracks about homosexuality and stuff. You know, just go, you know, you in and of yourself, you're great. God loves you. And there are wonderful things that you can do in serving God. Have a heart for God. And send this message to the kids. Don't make them feel like all your friends are getting married. What's wrong with you? And that kind of stuff. So Paul says, hey, if they get married, if the Lord brings someone along who's a perfect mate for your kids, then don't hold them back. It's great. Let them get married. But he said there are some really good things, and he calls them better in the present distress. If your child would forego marriage to instead serve the Lord, there are some parents who just are absolutely devastated if their kid comes home and says, I think God's calling me to the mission field. And you go, but you're not even married yet. You know, I don't want to have grandkids that don't speak English, you know. Marry somebody and then go in the ministry. You know, you as a parent should be so proud if your child is walking with God and serving God and they're single and they don't have the distraction, all that baggage that comes with trying to figure out how to be married and trying to serve God. Now, that's not God's calling on everyone, but Paul says there are some really good things about serving God being single. And as a parent, you definitely don't want to be the one who's pushing your kids into a leash that they're going to have to live with, into a, a relationship that isn't what's best for them. In God's timing, if they are supposed to be married, they'll find the perfect person. I know a bunch of kids who have... The Lord has led them to the mission field when they were single, and God just ended up providing great wives for them from other countries. And that's great when that happens. But that's not why you go. And that's not better than somebody who's just serving God with all their heart and single. Paul would say, quit making such a big deal about marriage. And instead recognize, hey, there are some great advantages to being able to serve God without the burden and obligation of relationships that can be so complicated. So he who gives her in marriage does well, and he who doesn't give her in marriage does better. Verse 39, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. Don't just take off. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. In other words, if a woman becomes a widow and she wants to remarry, no problem. She can do that as long as it's a Christian. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. He says, if you've had that opportunity to be married and now God frees you up, he goes, I'm thinking you'll be happier without it. That's my opinion, Paul said. What all was he basing that on? I don't know. Now, a little later, he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 
He goes, you know, there are some widows that ought to get married. He said, in fact, I'll read it to you. It's kind of kind of clever. <laughs> because apparently they had developed this tradition of, hey, widows just serve God. And, and uh, you know, but he says, um, he's talking about true widows and those that are involved in ministry and so on. But he says in verse 9 of chapter 5, 1 Timothy, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, that is, be included in the ministry as a full-time thing. And not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she's brought up children, if she's lodged strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. So he says, hey, if there's a widow who's 60 and she spent her life really serving God and serving her family and everything, then great, try to support her and involve her in ministry. But refuse the younger widows. For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. So he goes, you know, there are some of you women who have become single, and you're just using it as an excuse to be lazy and a gossip. You miss the opportunity to really be faithful in serving the Lord. And he goes, if that's what you're going to do with your singleness, just get married. You know, there are some people who, because they don't have a healthy relationship, and then they're not serving God from their heart, they become weirder and weirder, and it just their life just becomes some, you know, a mess. And he goes, you know, if, if you're young and there's still hope for you, you could still hook a live one. And if your choice isn't between serving God or, you know, getting married, he goes, the choice is you could serve God or you could just be a worthless single person who's a leech on everyone or, you know, hey, get married. And so that, you know, kind of, he adds it to the picture. The exhortation that I see there is, if you're going to be a single person, be a godly single person. And if you do that, that's great for you. That's really awesome. But with all that extra time that you have as a single person, if you're going to misuse that time, if you're just going to waste it, if you're, there are some guys who are single that just their whole life is just playing video games or something, I think he would go, you need a woman. <laughs> but but if, if the time is spent going, I want to serve God, and I want to draw close to him, and I want that intimate relationship with him, then he would say, boy, you're blessed. You got a good thing going. And notice that he's concerned for her happiness too. He says, for one of these widows who does it right, she's going to be happy. It's going to be fulfilling. One reason why we have so many divorces isn't just because we don't value marriage. One reason why we have divorce, I think, is because we make such a big deal about marriage that people will just marry anybody just so they can be married. 
And so a lot of times we are asking someone who would be happy when they're single and we push them toward marriage and marriage doesn't work for them because that's not God's calling for their life. I'm convinced that a whole lot of people who are divorced probably should have never got married in the first place. But when we define life as being equivalent to marriage, we force them to get out there and try it and see how it works out. Not necessary, not wise. And he says, finally, this is my judgment, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. I think so, too. I think Paul here, he really gets God's heart. That God would say to all of us, don't be defined by whether you're married or single. Don't make these distinctions such a big deal. Don't push each other. Don't push yourself to become something that you aren't right now. But instead, find out where you are and go, how can I be of best service to God in the state in which I'm called? How can I learn to be content where I am? And when we do that, Paul would say, after spending a bunch of time on marriage and the messes that come from marriage, he goes, you know, you might be a lot happier and you may be able to serve God much more effectively if you'll abide in that state that God has given you as a blessing, and you may see it as a curse, but God's going, don't you see? You've got it made. You're blessed. Let's make sure that we try to send that message to the single people around us, that we stop making them feel like second-class citizens. They're the first-class citizens. They have an advantage over those of us who are married. That's a fact. And if they use that advantage and appreciate it and enjoy it, we'll all benefit. The body of Christ benefits. Let's pray. Lord, by way of balance, we're really grateful, those of us who are married, that you have us married. But we also are so sorry that we've sent this message out that somehow we're not whole people until we get married. I think of all the single people in the body of Christ who many of them feel like they have to get out every night to try to get married. And they feel like they can't really serve God effectively until they're married. And we repent of that attitude. And Lord, for those single saints who are here as a part of our body, as a part of your body, Lord, I pray that you would challenge them and elevate them and bless them, help them to understand what wonderful opportunities they've had. And oh God, help their relationships with you to just be enriched and deepened and their service of you to be unbridled and without distraction. And I thank you for them. I thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Whether you're married or whether you're single, the real sad thing is you're alone unless you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what matters. It's connecting to him that's the main thing, not connecting to other people. When you connect with somebody else and, and you're alone spiritually, you just make each other miserable. And if you're here today married or single and you don't know Jesus Christ, that hunger that you've been feeling, that, that 
that just that throbbing in your existence that's making you feel like something's missing, it's not a person. It's Jesus. And I pray that today you would come down here after the service. There'll be people down here who would love to pray for you. And figure out what the missing piece really is in your life. It's a relationship with the living God. And for all of us, let's enjoy this week the state that God has called us to. And if we're married, let's see how we can least be distracted and most serve God within our families. And if we're single, let's praise God and thank Him for it and go for it in our walk with Him.